The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning, Downtown Church. Let me get set up here. And for Father's Day, um, as a father, I had several suggestions about what I should be wearing for Father's Day from my kids, including previous Father's Day presents that are, include T-shirts and various uh, items of, of clothing. And in order to not instantly lose credibility, I chose not to wear some of my Father's Day T-shirts, but uh, maybe at some time you, you'll be, get to see me in some of those. So this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be looking at the story of Elijah. We're continuing our series on rest. And as I was thinking about the, the sermon this morning, what we could talk about, <clears throat> I was thinking about whenever my wife and I, my family, when we moved to Memphis, this was about five years ago, my wife had heard about Memphis Teacher Residency, heard about this organization, great organization. A lot of people here are involved with Memphis Teacher Residency, heard about the vision of wanting to address education inequality in Memphis and saying, this is a good vision. This is something worth investing in. And so we moved here. Hillary began the program. And you, you start learning the different parts that's involved with making a difference in one specific area. To begin with, you got to learn your content. If you're going to teach reading or math, you got to learn that. Then you got to figure out and realize there's about you know, 20, 30 kids in a room. you got to manage them. So you got to develop these skills, too. Then you got to figure out, well, it's not just kids learning math and reading. There's social and emotional learning. Okay, this starts to feel a little bit exhausting. And then you realize it's not just my classroom, but I'm part of a school, and I don't really run the administration. And then you realize it's not just the school. There's a county, and I don't run the county, and there's all kinds of decisions being made there. And then you realize it's not just the county, but it's neighboring districts. And then it's not just neighboring districts, it's the state, and it's the, it's the nation. There's so many things. When you said initially, I am motivated by this vision to address this issue, when you get into it, it can feel exhausting and overwhelming, and you're wondering, how do we keep going? Spoiler alert, rest has something to do with it. <laughs> Continuing in our series, and so we're going to look at a passage this morning, and I think Elijah can help us with this. We see in the story of Elijah somebody who was willing to address the problems he saw in the nation of Israel, was willing to do something about it. He didn't just tweet about the king saying what he didn't like about him. He went toe-to-toe, face-to-face with the king, with the 450 prophets of Baal, and said, let me tell you to your face what I have a problem with. He experiences an incredible victory of God, and it doesn't immediately change and he is ready to quit. He goes to the southernmost part of Israel, says, I'm ready to give up, literally says, I'm ready to die. And yet two chapters later, we see Elijah once again, toe-to-toe with King Ahab, confronting him to his face for how he has unjustly treated somebody. And I want to know what happened in chapter 19. What happened in chapter 19 that took this discouraged, really worn-out individual to picking it back up and saying, okay, I'm, I'm ready to do this. I want us to look at that, at this passage this morning. Let me read 1 Kings chapter 19, the first 18 verses. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done 
and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so many gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. This man who stood toe to toe with the king, now he's afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, the southernmost part of the nation of Israel, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meloah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray with us uh, before we continue. Uh, Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how we are reminded of your faithfulness. Will you, through our time this morning, uh, Guide us, will you lead us, draw us closer to you. I pray your blessing on our time this morning. I pray that you are glorified. I pray in your son's name, amen. So again, for, for context, it's important to realize what has happened that has led Elijah to this despair. And the first point that I wanna make this morning is that in serving in, when we serve God, when we look at, see what God calls us to, it is a marathon and not a sprint. 
And I'm thankful for Arteza's sermon a couple weeks ago where he gave the illustration of whenever he ran the half marathon that there were hydration stations along the way. If you're running a half marathon, you have to have hydration stations. And I'm thankful for his illustration because I have no personal illustration of running a marathon, a half marathon, quarter marathon, or eighth of a marathon. And so I'm thankful for that. But it's, it sinks in. When you're running a really long distance, you have got to have hydration stations. If it's a sprint, it's just a waste of time. You don't, if, if we're running a 100-meter race, there is no point in having a hydration station. That is pointless. But if it is a marathon, you do need that. And Elijah realizes this. So it, before this, we understand Elijah is introduced into the book of Kings the same time as King Ahab. King Ahab becomes president, then we see Elijah. And Elijah recognizes that in, in Ahab, he is taking God's people and he is leading them away from trusting and following the one true God. He is leading them to put confidence in Baal, leading people to think that, yeah, Yahweh is okay, but we also need to worship Baal the God of the weather, the God of the storms. We need to trust him as well. And so Elijah, one of the first things he does is announce a drought. Okay, this weather God, well, let's see what, what he can do. He announces a drought. Elijah then challenges the king. We see Elijah on Mount Carmel, again, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with 450 prophets have you ever done anything where you are alone and you're going against 450 people? I have never done that in my life. I cannot imagine the, the boldness that it takes to do that. He does that and he challenges these prophets of Baal, call down fire from heaven on this altar and they can't do it. And Elijah, Elijah is talking trash to them. This is Reggie Miller, Spike Lee 2.0. He is mocking them, saying, your God can't do it. He calls out to, to Yahweh, you bring down fire, and he does it. And what is it that happens whenever someone involved in wickedness or evil has the error of their way pointed out to them? Oh, of course, they repent, and they all turn to God, and everything goes great, doesn't it? No, that's not at all what happens. You would think that this uh, miraculous demonstration of Yahweh's power and Baal's weakness would lead King Ahab to say, you know what, I think you're right. That's not what happens. And when God calls us to so many things, the different areas where he calls us, this is often what happens. Do not expect to, oh, we're going to have a two-hour diversity training seminar, and then our organization is going to move beyond racism. This is just not what happens. Elijah realizes this is a marathon, not a sprint. And we see this when uh, Jezebel says to Elijah, uh, listen, I'm coming after you. Uh, I'm, I'm coming after your life. You're not going to be living much longer Whenever we confront evil, we realize that it is, it is a marathon and not a sprint. And I don't care where you are serving, whenever you get into the middle of it, you realize that it's more complicated than you had thought. And people warn you about it before you get into it, but you still don't realize it until you experience it yourself. Whenever you get in the middle of it, you say, okay, MTR recruited me, I'm, I'm passionate about education equality. When you get into it, you realize, wow, this is really complicated. 
This is really difficult. If you're working to address issues of poverty or racial justice, whatever it is God calls us to do, when you get into it, you realize this is complicated. And Elijah is discovering this. And when we think about what Elijah faced, he had to recognize that this one miraculous, incredible journey that they were going to make an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary on was not enough. Even as miraculous and spectacular as that was, there was still more to be done. Ahab was king for 30 years. Let that sink in. 30 years. And after him, Ahab's dynasty wasn't judged until over 10 years after that. Elijah never saw judgment come down on King Ahab and his dynasty. He never experienced it. It was a marathon that even outlasted his life. He did not see the full culmination of his work. I'm reminded of one of the professors I've had, uh, uh, Tienu, has said, truly great things are not accomplished by one person and usually not in one generation. Truly great things are usually not accomplished by one person and usually not in one generation. The work that God calls us to is a marathon. And this is something we experience when we get into something. I can't tell you how many times I've thought, well, why don't, I'm looking at a problem from the outside. Why don't they just do this? And then you get in the middle of it and you're like, oh, 18 other people have already tried that. Uh, It's always more complicated. And this is one of the first things we need to recognize evil for what it is. The Bible calls us to understand the evil that exists in the world and understand it completely. And when we do that, we, we realize we need to develop healthy patterns of rest. Uh, again, I'm going to use, use my wife as, a, as an illustration. For, for shortened periods of time, we can just say, I'm just going to push through and I'm not going to rest as much. That, that can be done for short periods of time. And for that MTR residency year, our family, we did not have the same patterns of rest. It was different. And sometimes there are just periods of our life where it is difficult to find healthy patterns of rest. I recognize that sometimes that happens. But if you're in year four and you've changed nothing from year one, there needs to be a reassessment. There needs to be a a, a realization that I'm going to face burnout like Elijah if I don't find some time to rest. I need to realize the evil that is in the world and understand it for what it is. And, and I want to say also, and when I'm saying that, that it's a marathon, not a sprint, I'm not, I'm not endorsing incrementalism or saying anytime God's people do something that we always have to take baby steps. Even when we make big changes, even when we make big steps, it's still a marathon. It's not like, well, we just need to you know, just go move an inch at a time. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Even when we push for big change, it takes time. And I want to say when we're talking about rest, this can be somewhat counterintuitive, right? Well, in order to find rest, we need to realize that things are really bad. Does it, that's, it's a little counterintuitive, right? Part of me thinks, well, if I want to rest, I'd rather just watch sports and, and, and check out. And just not, just don't tell me about it. Let, let me check out. And I just want to say for, for that, the Bible just doesn't give us that option. 
That, that may be something that seems like it's going to lead to rest, but it doesn't actually. And I'm not going to develop that point other than to say, listen to Sir G's sermon from last week, if, if you missed that. The Bible just doesn't allow us to turn a blind eye to what's going on. We need to come face to face with the evil for what it is in the world and realize it's a marathon, not a sprint. Point number two, uh, this meeting could not have been an email. Have you ever been in a meeting where, where you're, you're thinking, what did we just do for the last hour? What, 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 was the, what was the point of this? I feel like somebody could have just sent an email and I could have read it in about a minute and that, that, would, have, that would have been sufficient. All right, Elijah did not need an email from God. He needed to meet with God. This is the key point that we're getting at in this passage. This is what takes Elijah from despair to regaining boldness and confidence in the calling that God has given him. So if, if we look at it in verse four, Elijah, take my life. I'm done. I'm out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out. Verse five, he lay down, slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. In this series, we can talk about rest in one of two ways. One way is where we're trusting in God. And as Sergi did a great job last week, that does not mean just inactivity. That does not mean constantly taking a, a step away from work. That is one way. But there is another way in which rest really does include taking a step away from work. And, and we see here, Elijah takes a nap and God says, all right, now get up and eat. And for some of you this morning, you may be thinking, wow, that's my new life verse. Take a nap, get up and eat. I'm going to get that tattooed on my arm right here. First Kings 19.5, take a nap, get up and eat. Elijah needed to take a nap and he needed to get up and eat. And God knew that. When, when, when Elijah's saying, I'm it, I'm at the southern part of Judah, and then I'm going to take another, another week journey or, or another, uh, another day's journey. God doesn't say, you lazy, worthless prophet. He doesn't come at him like that. He's like, take a nap. Take a nap, get some food, and then, then we can talk. He needs that rest. Elijah gets the rest. And then we see something here, some connections between Elijah and the prophet Moses. Elijah goes on this journey for 40 days and 40 nights, and he goes to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, which tradition is identified as Mount Sinai, the place where God met Moses. So Elijah is going to this place where God met Moses, and we're wondering, all right, these are parallels between Elijah and Moses. God revealed himself to Moses. Is God going to reveal himself to Elijah? Is God going to meet Elijah, or is this complaining, whiny prophet, God just going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of done with you. I need to find somebody else. We see these connections, and, and what we find out is that God does reveal himself to Elijah. God does meet him, even in his weakness. When, God, when Elijah gets to the mountain, he goes into a cave. And in verse 9, Elijah in a cave, verse 11, God says, go stand on the mountain. We see no indication that Elijah obeys. All right? Remember, keep this in mind. The guy who was willing to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with King Ahab now is like, I can't. I'm, I'm in the cave. I'm good. Just, just leave me. 
And then we see that God speaks to Elijah. And we see these incredible forces of nature, a great wind, a fire, an earthquake. And none of that was needed. It was just the voice of God. The word of God was sufficient. And at that moment, then we see Elijah finally partially obeying. It says he now he goes to the edge of the cave. Now he's finally moving a little bit. Elijah needed to do two things. He needed to take a nap and eat. He needed to just step back, get some rest, get away from the work. And he's gone for over a month, by the way. And he also needed to meet with God and be reminded that God is powerful, that God is faithful. And realize this differs from the way a lot of the motivation that we may hear for calls is outside of what we hear in the Bible. I remember hearing this last week. Someone was talking about finding discrimination. And they said some people may be motivated to just keep, I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm not going to address it. It's too much work. It's too difficult. And the, the response that I heard was, but you can't do it because that's not how change happens. You, you can't do it because that's not how change happens, which is somewhat true, but it still doesn't really answer the question or the complaint that what I'm fighting against is really bad and it seems really stubborn. It seems to, to not go away very easily. We find Elijah has a resource that is more than just you can't give up because you can't give up. That's not really a reason. You can't give up because you can't give up. Elijah meets with God and recognizes he is reminded in this place that speaks to the power of God, that God reveals himself. Elijah is reminded. uh, He remembers the faithfulness of God, the power of God. And he is able to be sent out because of that, because he is reminded that he is part of God's mission. It's not Elijah's mission. It's God's mission. Think about this. There can be a worthy cause, but being a part of a worthy cause does not guarantee that your efforts will make a difference. It does not guarantee. I, I love basketball. I'm watching the NBA. If you think about working for an NBA title is a worthy cause. It's worth making sacrifices and efforts to do it. But think about if you happen to be one of these lucky people who have had a teammate like LeBron James or Michael Jordan, not only is there a good chance that the cause is worthy, but there's a good chance that it will actually pay off because you've got somebody on your team who man, I don't know what to do, but hey, here's the ball. Why don't you do something with it? Uh, That's always your, uh, that option is always on the table. When you have someone on your side who is far more powerful, this gives you motivation to stand against despair, discouragement, willing to give up, but we've got to take the time to do it. We've got to take the time to step back from the work and remember God, what I'm looking at, what I'm fighting, seems like it does not take a day off. Seems like it never takes a day off. But I'm going to be reminded that you are good and you don't take a day off either. You keep working. And what gives me the ability to be sent back out is is not you can't quit fighting because you can't quit fighting. It's you can't quit doing what God's called you to do because the one you're serving is powerful and he's faithful and he doesn't change. That's what we need to be reminded of. And when we think about how do we do this, 
For me, I remember at one point in my life uh, thinking, well, too many books I read, too many spiritual leaders talk about this personal walk with Jesus, and Christianity is more than that. And I think I was right. I think there were too many books I was reading that just focused on the personal walk with Jesus. And so I sort of downplayed the personal walk with Jesus and said, I'm going to get involved in some other issues. Well, it was never an either or. It was never an either or. Yes, God calls us to do more than just a personal walk with him. He most definitely calls us to do more than just sit and read our Bibles all day. But it's still important to regularly, every day, be reminded of God's goodness. To do that, refresh yourself with God's word. Come do it at church. To not just know that God is faithful and good and powerful, but to sing it out with God's people. This is a vital part of finding rest, of restoring our souls. In our community group, one thing, we don't do it every week, but many times we get together and say, how have you seen God work? What have you seen God, what has God been doing? We need to be reminded God is faithful. We need this time from work. And I want to point out that the first two points go together. We need to recognize evil is bad. And we need to come, not sugarcoat it, not not water it down. If you think about the book of Kings, this is history that's coming face to face with the problems. We can't do that. But if that's all we've got, we're in trouble. If all we've got is knowing the problems, we are in trouble. We have got to meet with God. We have got to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And the third point So it's a marathon, not a sprint. This could not have been an email. You need to meet with God. Third point, rest also restores perspective. Rest restores perspective. When you're in the middle of something, it is easy to lose sight of the big picture and to even not see what's going on within yourself. I want you to imagine me complaining to Michael Davis, Michael, man, nobody cares about God's word at downtown church. I'm the only person here that preaches God's word. What do you think he would say to me? He'd say, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're the only person? Clearly, you're not the only person that cares about God's word and that preaches. Elijah, multiple times in these chapters, has said, I am the only one. I am the only prophet. In chapter 18, Elijah has a conversation with Obadiah. And we see this verse in, uh, in chapter 18. Uh, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and he hid, uh, he hid hundreds of prophets. Obadiah has a conversation with Elijah, and he reminds him. And at first I'm like, what are you doing, Obadiah? You're just kind of like bragging, subtly throwing in these, these great things you've done. No, o- Obadiah is reminding Elijah, hey, you know, other people are out here doing something too. And when Elijah in chapter 18 is standing before King Ahab, he's saying, I'm the only one. Nobody else is doing anything. Whenever you are in the middle of where God has called you, it is hard to gain perspective because all you can see is the sacrifices you're making. I can tell you, my my wife and I, we served overseas. We were missionaries. And I remember hearing people would criticize Western missionaries, right? And I would get snarky right? Well, tell me about the time you left your country, right? 
If you're in the middle of something, right? If you're a teacher and somebody's criticizing the way you're going about addressing education inequality, you're probably thinking, well, so how do you manage 30 kids? How is it that you do that? Whenever you're in the middle of something, it's hard to take correction because all you see is the sacrifices you're making. And, and you got to step back. You got to step back and realize I'm not the only person. It doesn't all fall on me. And so I can take some, some correction here. And this is what, this is exactly what Elijah needed to hear. And it's again interesting how gracious and kind God is. He doesn't say, Elijah, you worthless prophet. You're so full of yourself. He, in fact, we don't even see a, a very direct rebuke of Elijah in this passage. Now, it does end with God saying, okay, you need to appoint these three other people, which I think is a subtle uh, pointing out, hey, listen, you, other people are involved in this too. And he says, by the way, I've got 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. Stop acting like you're alone. We don't see a harsh rebuke, and this is, this is what God does with us. He takes weak people who need, uh, have things in their lives that are wrong, that needs to be corrected, and he hears us complain, and he hears us whine, and he, he meets with us, and he reminds us of who he is, and he, he gently corrects us and then sends us back out. And this is what we can have whenever we, we have rest with God. We can gain some of that perspective. And, and what I would want to, what, what I want to emphasize here is, I think the, the first point I made, we need to realize how bad the problem is out there. I think if we have done ministry in difficult context, somewhere along the way, we have realized that there's also a problem in here. Uh, and if you've never come to that point, I would really encourage you to take some rest. <laughs> uh, at some point, you realize, wow, I'm, man, I've got some blind spots. I've got some things that I don't, I don't do well. And, and we need rest <laughs> to be able to gain some perspective and to realize, you know what? I have some areas that need to be corrected but it doesn't disqualify me. It doesn't mean God's not going to use me. God never just dismisses Elijah. He's not done with him. He's calling him. Elijah is weak. And yet when you talk about the Old Testament prophets goat debate, Elijah was in it. <laughs> Elijah was one of the, the, the candidates for the goat status in the Old Testament. He was very well known. And yet we see in this chapter, he is weak. And so uh, as we think about this, I, I, I hope we realize the importance of rest. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We have got to rest. We need to see evil for how bad it truly is. This is where rest comes from. It also comes from meeting with God for rest and renewal, reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness and goodness. And it comes from gaining perspective that comes from rest. When we take a step back, and sometimes it, Elijah took over a month off. Sometimes we need to take a more extended step back and, and to, to gain some perspective with what we're doing. 
when we do those things, we can, we can be sent back out. We can find the rest we need and continue serving. And that's exactly what we see with Elijah. In the chapters that follow this chapter, it's interesting. It's not just Elijah going toe-to-toe with King Ahab, but there's actually other prophets that are mixed into the story. And so we realize the hero of this section of the Bible is not Elijah, it's God. Elijah was a weak prophet that God used mightily. And that would be my prayer for me. That'd be my prayer for all of us. We recognize we're weak people that have flaws, but God can use us and God can send us. And, and I would like to end with a, with a final exhortation of Elijah was really working against this idea in Israel that King Ahab and, and Jezebel had, had brought about in the country that Yahweh is good for this and this, but we need Baal for this and this. And if we want to find true rest, we have got to come to God alone. We have got to trust God alone. Uh, If you have ever had a really good mentor that you trust, I think you can realize that sometimes you can have a mentor that can come to you and say, I know what you're doing is hard. I know you're not seeing progress, but you're doing what you should be doing. You're doing the right thing. The work is just difficult. And if you have a mentor you can trust, then you, you gain some rest. Okay, I can take a day off because I'm, I'm doing what, I'm, what I should be doing. But if you have a mentor you don't trust, you get no rest in that. I have had people tell me before, Wayne, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. And I'm thinking, what do you know? What? You've, you've never done what I'm doing. How do you know that I'm doing exactly what I should be doing? But when you have somebody you trust that you have confidence in, this is who we need. We need to come to King Jesus and to realize that rest comes from knowing him and following him and not saying it's King Jesus and this or not reshaping King Jesus in our image. There's a book I read, The Color of Christ, looked at how the church in America made Jesus white. And it had this incredible line, God made us in our image, so we returned the favor by making him in ours. So often we say, yeah, I'm going to follow King Jesus, and then we make him out to be whatever it is we want to do. That is not where rest is found. That is following the pattern that Ahab wanted to set up of saying, yeah, I want to follow God for this and this, but this over here, I need to figure something out myself. We need to follow King Jesus and recognize that he is worth following. From last week's sermon, he is gentle and near to those who are low. This morning, may we be uh, re-energized in our worship and our meditation on God to follow, to trust King Jesus and to find our rest in him. Father, I want to thank you for your word that reminds us of your faithfulness, of your goodness. May we find true rest in you and be sent out. God, will you use us? uh, Will you uh, take our, our feeble efforts that are flawed, and will you use them to do mighty things? I pray in your son's name. Amen.